So I'm going to dance around him. Six squares. Whatever. for the Mundangerous Clock Tower in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Yushin. And welcome to episode 106 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're arguing over who goes first. But before that, the rogue traders try to prove they're not rogue traders in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the high noon duelist always shoots first in the character creation forge. <laughs> uh, that was a good pun. <laughs> uh, before we get to that stuff, just a reminder about Gen Con. So uh, I will be part of the intro to RPG podcasting panel hosted by the RPG Academy Friday at 9 p.m. Uh, feel free to come hang out, become our competition, whatever. Um, and then also our schedules for all of Gen Con are up on TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So that's where we'll be. Um, feel free to reach out to us, email, Twitter, whatever, um, if you are around and would like to meet up. Shane, does that mean that before this episode goes live, we have to figure out what our schedules are at Gen Con? Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How many games did I agree to? We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna have to dig through some emails. <laughs> compile it into a format that uh will keep us sane for the week it's gonna be awesome just don't get food poisoning this year i'm gonna try my best to not get food poisoning okay well i'm gonna purify it with alcohol at a more dedicated pace this year i think i feel like last year my problem was that i wasn't committed to the drinking and that weakened my resolve against poisoned food yeah i think you were mixing them in your stomach but really you should just be dunking everything in an alcohol bath right like you know uh, a surgeon in deadwood oh okay (laughs) (laughs) great this chicken is probably clean (laughs) yeah smells better gen con special all right so the dynasty and warranty campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game uh, played using Dark Heresy 2nd edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games and the Rogue Traders find themselves on the feudal world of Gauntlegrim still we've been here forever uh, for, for like two days in game but yeah. like nine years in real life yeah well like four days but whatever <laughs> Uh, But you are at the front lines of their long-running war against the native orc population. Uh, You have recovered a drop pod filled with las guns and other imperial equipment. You have cleansed it of some orky ambushers. And you have uh, suffered a bunch of psychic phenomena thanks to your uh, psyker flare. And then you distributed all the equipment to the rank and file. And now comes the rewards, finally. Right. In so the, many well-earned rewards. In the form of Commissar Herc gallantly accusing you of heresy. I told you he was Commissar Jerk. I called that as soon as you said his name forever ago. Because <laughs> he sucks. Because I hate this guy. So basically, he he's heard your story, right, of uh, having been ambushed by the Dark Eldar and then um, them having taken over an Imperial Navy frigate, but you having bravely escaped and um, and you know, being completely unable to save any of those Navy men. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's no way. 
<laughs> and then he saw your gun cutter. And he saw your shiny new bolt pistols that all of you are proudly sporting on your hip. And then he pieced together that that ship that you claimed was waylaid by Dark Eldar had a group of junior commissars on it who were slated to come to Gauntlegrim to serve, to learn, to improve morale and fix the rank and file men so they can fight better for the Imperium. But you don't understand. They were captured and then stitched into a human tableau. That's exactly what he thinks you would say. <laughs> If you had yourselves waylaid them, <laughs> stolen their ship and their gear, <laughs> repainted it to cover the evidence, which, uh, if you recall, your gun cutter is painted in garish red colors by uh, by, by orcs, by actually. your orc friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, we could just introduce him to our bosun, who is a dark elder. Um, wait, okay, that's probably also not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why don't you just come up to our ship and we'll just sort this out as heretics? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> our character witnesses are not very helpful. Right. Uh, he also doesn't really believe that you escaped from Dark Eldar. Uh, you've shown brief flashes of competence since you've been here, but it's mm. not like you're the most inspirational figures. Yeah. Fortunately, we've got a talker in our midst. Trix is the seneschal of the ship. That means he does most of the diplomacy. He's, so he's, he's got to be good at this. He's a political animal, that seneschal <laughs> of yours. So he's just going to explain all of this. Yeah, so... His approach is to just tell the actual emperor's honest truth. You were caught up in a, a a web of inquisitorial deception. You were used as a pawn in their game of intrigue. Then you were cut loose and sent uh, out this direction with a score, like as a, as a tip, as kind of a reward. And then you stumbled upon an imperial navy frigate in distress and then you were waylaid by the dark eldar but you managed to escape and then you came to gauntlegrim because you're trying to make a deal for some uh, agricultural equipment for the agri world novabella look we just did what was best for the imperium mm-hmm. it was save the guns forget the people people are cheap yep. lives are cheap and Herc is like what you think i was born yesterday <laughs> look okay Herc might have bought it except that uh brian who plays Seneschal Trix, rolled very poorly on his... Was it a charm test? I think it was charm. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, Dark Heresy has this mechanic where you can re-roll a few times a session. So, of course, he just re-rolls it. Yeah, he, he spent some fate and got to re-roll his check. Yeah. And then what did he roll? The worst possible results. That's 100. Uh-huh. There's a 1% chance of doing that, and that's what he did. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this was going to be bad. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't go with, like, summary execution. Well, that could have been, yeah, that would have been a lousy <laughs> end of your campaign. Oh, no, he executes you on the spot. Done. That was easy. Which he did do, actually. He pulled out his his bolt pistol, and, or I think he had a plasma pistol. But either way, he cocked it and pointed it at you. And we were like, oh, great. We're going to die, but we have to go down fighting. Okay. Yeah, now we have to fight an entire Imperial army. With guns we just gave them. Right. <laughs> and then what happened? Colonel Sturm, uh, not also not our friend, but not as annoying as Herc, he intervenes, which is nice. He's got a better plan. Well, we like it as a better plan because it, like it, it doesn't involve us immediately getting shot in the head. Right. <laughs> that will come later. <laughs> so they're going to investigate our claims, you know, attempting to confirm parts of it with the Navy, which they totally should be able to do because we definitely reported that uh, broken cipher mm-hmm. that we definitely didn't 
giveaway on our end right but to you, the navy but you have directly contacted the navy yeah. about the situation mm-hmm. so you've laid a pretty good trail so they're not gonna execute us right away while they're checking into that but they do like the fact that we have been showboating a little bit uh for for the men because that's actually improved morale and they've decided well you're gonna do more of that yeah. In fact, you are either going to uh, lead these troops in an amazing success, or you're going to die trying to do that. Right. <laughs> Congratulations. You're now <laughs> champions of the Imperium. <laughs> Time to start acting like it. The Emperor appreciates your service. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you're in it now. You're in the trenches on the front lines. Yes, because we impressed uh, the rank and file, we have now been impressed ourselves. And joined the army as grunt soldiers which is really the worst thing that could ever happen to imperial navy men yeah (laughs) yeah the life expectancy of the imperial (laughs) guard is not high no no not only are you now like back in the rank and file but you're um earthbound earthbound yeah yeah Yeah. enjoy that you don't have the decency of being killed from tens of thousands of kilometers away or buried at space (laughs) right uh, we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are going to, I don't know, complain about initiative, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. Think about initiative, I guess, out we'll, loud. We'll ponder it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so this week we're talking about initiative because... But my mom tells me I don't have enough of it. That's She's yeah. not wrong. Mm. But July's Unearthed Arcana was called Greyhawk Initiative, and it was Mike Merle's with some playtest rules changing up D&D's approach to initiative. Yeah, I was really hoping it was going to be like a super cool adventure or like a movie, like the Greyhawk Initiative. Yeah, I know, right? Like a Jason Bourne style like <laughs> D&D adventure would have been great. Uh, it would have been amazing, but no. Um, but in looking through that and, and as it was released, I think a bunch of different D&D communities really started digging into it and talking about it and there was a great conversation on Twitter and Google Plus and and different places right of is it good is it bad how do we improve it what could make it better what doesn't work all these different things right and it got us to really think about the impact that initiative has on the game right and how initiative fits into the system of combat for a role playing game pretty much any role playing game not just D&D yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and the form of initiative changes, but the impact doesn't, right? So the central premise of Greyhawk Initiative, which is an unearthed arcana system, so obviously it's still in playtest, is that rather than the normal D&D 5e way of rolling initiative, which is roll a d20, add your initiative modifier, instead everyone decides the kinds of actions they're going to take throughout the round, and then each kind of action has a die size associated with it and then you scoop up all the dice that correspond to the actions that you want to take this round roll them add them together and the lowest initiative then begins going first and you go in ascending order right there's no static modifiers and you're no longer looking at your d20 at all for or initiative. or your dex modifier right like it doesn't matter how quick you are to move it is all dependent upon the kinds of actions that you want to take right and and what this leads to is sort of two things one is the more actions or things that you do because it's not just specifically actions but the more things you do in a round the more dice you roll and therefore the later in the round you'll end up going it also means uh, that you're re-rolling initiative every single round right and that you're planning your actions or at least 
the possibility of your actions up front before anyone has acted in a round. The reason it's called Greyhawk Initiative is because it's a, the system is a definite throwback to uh, old like second edition initiative systems where things were very different from 3.5 or, or 5e. Uh, you had like weapon speeds where you know depending on the kind of weapon you were using, uh, you might be able to swing faster or before someone else. I I literally don't remember initiative pre 3.3 edition. So, really? Oh, yeah, that's so, interesting. Well, when you read through old uh, modules, you you get um, like nods to this. Like if you're reading Dead Gods out of Planescape, I remember there's this one sidebar that's like, you know, you may want to consider just rolling initiative one time at the beginning of the combat and not rolling it every single round. And I was like, oh, re- oh, really? Huh? Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, throughout D and D, at least like uh, all the different editions, like before third edition really everyone's sort of experimenting with different ways you could do initiative mm-hmm. like um the the rogue modron from the planescape campaign setting uh, you know they're like basically made of like pure Order. law right yeah. exactly uh and that particular kind of pc rolls initiative one time like one time you make the character you roll initiative that is always the initiative you go on for the life of the character <laughs> yeah and i like as <laughs> as enemies modrons act whenever they want to because they always act at the fortuitous time or at the most like design time like they, they have foreseen these outcomes <laughs> and therefore they know when they must act when controlled by primus that's certainly true right <laughs> <laughs> too bad they don't use base 10 <laughs> so we started this conversation because of unearthed arcana but we want to kind of broaden it to how to think about combat and initiative and action economy and how these things all fit together so instead of doing what we normally do with unearthed arcana options and just you know spending 10 minutes tearing it apart and telling you how it's very bad, uh, we're going to still do that, but then broaden that into um, more applications. Right, right. Because this Greyhawk initiative is not very good. I think that was the general consensus, mm-hmm. was that, wow, this is not going to be great. But it's probably fixable or worth talking about. Yeah. Like the kind of player that it would appeal to in the first place probably doesn't want to use it as written but there are small tweaks that can be done for the kind of group that wants things to be i guess more tactical round by round Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing i noticed is if you make the turn order unpredictable you're going to make control effects and buff effects very unreliable so you're going to be less inclined to use them and that's kind of what makes D&D combat cool is that everyone has different things that they're doing to help the group. And you sort of coordinate them so that you can all work together as a team. It's not just, you know, five people throwing arrows or running into the middle of combat and you just kind of see what happens in the scrum. Right, exactly. And and the reason for that is because when you have a fixed initiative, you know exactly how long and who's acting before an effect wears off or a target makes another save or whatever it is, right? So you you can pretty reliably guess what actions are going to happen after you. But if you don't know the order or the way that the the way that beginning of your turn, end of your turn effects work in this, like they move to the round, uh, it's possible that like you're getting extra saves before anyone has a chance to act on it or, or things like that. So it just becomes very difficult to land those spells and and controlling effects and debuffs and buffs in a way that gets you a guaranteed outcome 
which is sort of the goal of tactical planning, right? I remember the old days sometimes in Theater of the Mind um, when the GM laid out what the battle looked like. Rather than everyone deciding what they were going to do on their turn, they would ask everybody, okay, what do you do this round? Mm -hmm. Um, And then all of those things sort of like happened simultaneously. Of course, you were still deciding what you were doing in initiative order, and that wasn't changing every single round. Right. You know? But what that does in effect is instead of making things more tactical every round, it makes things less tactical because you just don't have, you don't have good information. Yeah. You have too many unknowns. So you have to just play it safe, right? You, you opt for most likely to occur rather than most beneficial. Right. Like the nature of role-playing games in general, where you have this small amount of randomness built into the system is that, you mostly want sure things more than big swingy risks because big swingy risks uh, works against players who need to survive through every single session and then eventually get to the end of a story. And and then also it tends to be a lot less fun for a player if you swing and miss five times, even if you kill them on the sixth hit, like it's just less of a payoff if you've had to sit there missing five times. So one of the, one of the things that, Mike Merles, who who wrote this, um, talked about in his commentary section was that it would it would increase the value of planning and tactics, um, and that he noted there was a hazard was his word of not of getting to your turn and not having a useful action to take, right? Like um, if you're the healer and you were planning to cast a heal spell and your target has died before you get there well, you might be screwed. You might not have something valuable that you can actually do that turn now. Or even imagine being a melee combatant and you're standing in front of the enemy and you're like, well, I'm going to I'm gonna swing at them. I'm going to attack them twice. Mm-hmm. What if they move away from you? Right. Like on their <laughs> turn, they left. <laughs> Remember, you didn't, um, you didn't sort of like put money into the initiative pot to say, well, I also want to move. Right. Right. So that means that you're just stuck there and you've wasted your entire turn, which means what you have to do every single round is say, well, I'm going to attack, but I'm also going to move. And if I waste the move, oh, well, that's too bad. At least I still get to attack. Yep. But it also means that I'm going to attack pretty late in the initiative uh, order. Now I'm going slower. Yeah. Or we're all end up rolling the same dice. Right. Which is right. The, everyone the has to move. Outcome. Exactly. Uh-huh. And and so what we end up with then is rather than actually planning up front, you're just taking all the possible dice you could be using, rolling them, seeing where you land, and then having the conversation and replanning as you go anyway, which mm-hmm. is now basically what you're doing as, as it was, just slower and less satisfying and still rather unpredictable. Yeah, and then later on your turn, you're like, okay, great, I can attack them because they're right in front of me. I already paid for a move, though. So, like, I should figure out something to do with this movement. Right. Just because I've already invested into it. So I'm going to dance around him. Yeah. Six squares. Whatever. The other thing we don't like is that the treatment of bonus actions gets very weird. Like, in-game, the fiction of a bonus action is something that you can do very quickly without sort of breaking your stride, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, an offhand attack, or uh, as a sorcerer, you know, you can use the quicken spell metamagic to very quickly throw out a spell. Right, or like a a rogue can dash quickly, or hide almost without being well, hopefully without being noticed, but, (laughs) like, without a second thought, right? He just blends into shadows just naturally. But in this initiative system, 
there is no difference between action or bonus action. It is all based on the kind of effect you are trying to do. So a bonus action spell, a cantrip, or like a full-on regular spell of whatever level all cost you a d10 to your initiative roll. Mm-hmm. Any kind of melee attack costs the same. Your main hand attack, your offhand attack. A ranged attack, however, is only a d4 as opposed to a d8 for a melee attack. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which I get fits the sort of tactical fiction of the world of like, yes, you shoot somebody with a ranged weapon before they approach you. But also, that's really lame in D&D. <laughs> like, ranged is just less satisfying. Don't make it better. Incentivize also, melee. Also, what if you're already like in melee combat? You're in the scrum. Mm-hmm. You know, why does the ranged attack go first? Right. How does this interact with extra attack? So extra attack would be an action. That's an attack action, right? Because you take the attack action. But it's just one, not two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because you would add the attack as part of your action. So there are some things that it fixes, um, but they're more like the annoying quirks of initiative than they are necessarily problems with initiative. The types of things where you just kind of break out of initiative order and solve it narratively. Uh, I'm thinking of chasing specifically. So if, uh, if two characters are, you know, like 10 feet apart and one of them runs... Um, the second character will never catch them, assuming they have the same speed. Right, and one isn't a rogue. Right, yeah, yeah. They like you'll just never. They'll just run indefinitely, right? Unless the second character happened to have initiative first, and then somehow would instantly catch them, even though he hadn't known that his target was leaving. Like, but it's it's that whole like we break it out by turn within the same six seconds, right? Yeah, but. <laughs> Does Greyhawk Initiative really fix that? It just turns it into a crapshoot. Uh, true. <laughs> if we both have the same speed and we're both using all our actions to run, well, I guess it's just whoever rolls better on D6s. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Initiative isn't perfect. I think that's the takeaway. Uh, this does do some things better than others, but like, it's probably not worth it. It probably would work better in another system, though, not D&D. Something that is much less focused on tactical combat and effects that last defined periods of time and, you know, rounds that are six seconds. Yeah, I think if it had a simpler action economy and was less reliant on, like, combo play, uh, this would actually be kind of cool, right? Like, if if it were, you know, the majority of combat was just swing a sword, shoot a gun, um you know fiddle with the door controls and try and escape like i I think that could work in an interesting way because you you don't have spells that are causing lingering effects on combat right but part of the fun and and part of the i hesitate i hesitate to say it but like the right way to play DD is to play as a team well the the way that DD is designed to be played right or wrong i mean i think it's clear that DD expects you to work together so if you're deciding, here's what I'm going to do, and I guess I can't take into account the current situation because I don't know what it's going to be, I guess it's just, I'm going to I'm gonna do me. Right. Or I'm going to go last. <laughs> <laughs> I will do all the things. Right. <laughs> this kind of made me start thinking about tactical planning as a game element and what that means, right? Because that was... One of the comments that Mike Merles had included in in his commentary section was that it would increase tactical planning, and my my immediate reaction, our immediate reaction, right, was no, it won't. <laughs> like that, that's not what tactical planning would be. So it made me think, like, 
what is tactical planning and how do you encourage it and what does um like what does a system do that makes it tactical versus not tactical well in order for it to count as tactics what you need is some level of predictability Mm -hmm. the whole point is to reduce variability and to take more control of the inherent randomness in a system that uses essentially a random number generator right right um but you can't really do that if you don't know how your decisions are going to affect the outcome or at least the probabilities of the outcome that you're looking for to be sure like D D is actually already a pretty like swingy mm-hmm. system right it's I mean, we're based on a d20 it's a yeah. d20 yeah. and it's it's very binary right like it's either you hit or you miss you save and you're fine or you fail your save and it sucks right there's there's no real middle ground with D. there's no partial success there's no um you know success with uh complication or, or any of those sort of uh spectrum kind of successes so it's either going to be one effect or the other that's a already a pretty significant degree of variability adding in the timing of that makes it very difficult to even bother thinking tactically I mean, so much about playing tactically in D and D is about your timing. You know, if you are a melee combatant, you're trying to figure out how quickly can I get adjacent to them so then I I can attack them. If you are casting a spell, often it'll have an area of effect, and you need to figure out how to avoid your allies, mm-hmm. which means you need to know where your allies are going to be. Right. Or like, how many enemies are going to be in the radius of the fireball? Right. I want to catch as many as I can. Yep. And then the flip side is you have the ability to do different things if by the time it's your turn, right, things things have changed to a degree that it's no longer a good idea. Yeah, I think this also runs into the problem that we have sometimes where someone it's someone's turn and they don't know what to do and they haven't decided yet what to do. Sure, you have, de- you have decided the particular actions that you could be taking on your turn Mm -hmm. but when it comes around you now need to reassess what does the board look like what is the optimal action for me to take or even what's a useful action for me to take right Uh, and so i can see everyone just sort of sitting around being like okay beginning of my turn let me let me figure this out which is just going to take so much longer because tactical combat in DD already is a slog right so let's take for example um an archer character who has been shooting the same enemy for for two rounds right and now that enemy has run away and is out of range when it gets to your turn what do you do you reposition and and you're happy about it because it's one of the few things as an archer you actually get to do with your move action (laughs) (laughs) okay so what if getting in range would provoke an attack of opportunity what if moving back into range of your target would provoke an opportunity attack like how do we weigh that right it to determine is it worth it for me start with like what does it cost versus what is the benefit of doing this right so like if i chase and provoke an attack of opportunity what does that mean like how likely am i to get hit by it what does that damage mean am i already low and it could knock me out and then i might miss my attack or am i high enough that it doesn't matter or are we in the middle of our work day and I might need to save every last hit point I can get. Uh, am I concentrating on any spells that I might lose, right? Um, or, like, 
am I moving into or out of area effects that I need to be aware of? What kind of terrain do I have to cross? Does mm-hmm. it move me out of my advantageous position that I spent three rounds getting into? Yeah, what does it do? Like, even if I kill this guy, does it set me up for what I want to do next round? Or should I just, most likely, stand right where I am and shoot the guy who would attack, who would take an opportunity to attack at me? Right. New target. Right, new target. But now I've split up my damage. So then that's the question, right? Is what's the benefit of landing this hit on that target this time, right? So, like... What what are the chances that I actually hit him, for one? You know, like, D&D is generally working off, like, 60% odds, right? Do I have a way to get that higher so that I know I'm going to land it? Um, is this target, like, a major threat? Is he a big bad? Or is it a mook? And he's pretty much interchangeable as a target. Yeah, in most RPGs, the stat that regulates how quickly you go is your dexterity, which also is usually the stat that regulates how good you are at ranged combat. Mm-hmm. Which means that as a ranged combatant, your role is usually to soften up other targets. Take them out first because you can almost always reach or affect them. You're probably going to be going before your allies and likely before the enemies as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and then it's D&D, right? So there's another big like variability between are you alive or dead? Because there's no death spiral. So one hit point fights just as hard as full hit points. But mm-hmm. zero hit points is totally out of the fight. Right, which is why in D&D you always focus fire. Right. Whereas in systems with death spirals, Savage Worlds, Star Wars, uh, hit everybody a little bit. A couple bit. times, yeah. yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then isolate them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I think you also have to consider from like a story or role-playing perspective, right? Is this a high-priority thing that i want to do right do i need to kill this guy is he the target um or is it like a personal rival or something that like i would take a risk kind of beyond what i would normally consider because of it or am i vindictive and did they hit me a bunch right like forget (laughs) this new threat i'll take the hit i don't care about the hit i'm gonna go kill that guy right right um and then also considering it within the context of the fight overall right is it is it the kind of thing where if you kill the enemy spellcaster, then all of the minions get weaker and we win the fight and clean up? Yeah. Is the spellcaster still chucking fireballs? We've been learning this in Dark Sun. Is yeah. Take out the spellcaster take, immediately. Take out fireball. Yeah. They have infinite fireballs. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, put them in a hypnotic pattern. Yeah, that is one thing that... Greyhawk initiative really brings up is when you're balancing the kinds of actions that you can do especially for a character like a Gish that cannot choose to attack or choose to cast a spell Mm -hmm. it costs so much more to your initiative to cast a spell than to for example shoot Mm -hmm. it doesn't make things more tactical all it does is just put a thumb on the scale away from casting a spell it just makes spell casting less desirable in any edge circumstance and just makes you worse at what you do when you, no matter what, we're going to cast a spell anyway. Right. Yeah, and I think there's, to that point, when you add too many variables, I could understand people arguing that it's more tactical in the sense that you have more things to keep track of and therefore, like, more more nuance to your decisions, right? Like, you might want to do things slightly different because of this variable than this variable. And so, like, your optimal choice is that much harder to kind of drill down to and in a way like that's sort of the goal of being tactical right is like always drilling down to that optimal choice um 
but part of it is also like if the optimal choice only has like very marginal benefit over a suboptimal choice like why bother doing all the work right like there's not enough there's not enough payoff to do all the extra like thought process behind coming up with the best decision if a pretty good decision gets you almost all the way there anyway right if you can just cruise control this combat right and there's a good chance you guys are going to win anyway like why not yeah just roll the dice and and hit them in the face because that's the fastest way through this and also it's a lot less work in my head Mm -hmm. another interesting aspect that Greyhawk Initiative brings up is the idea of programmed actions where you're deciding ahead of time what you're going to do not necessarily on the flyer in the moment and this at least in principle I don't have a problem with like I said I used to play in games when I was younger where like that's how we did it you Mm -hmm. know say what you're going to do and then the the GM would sort of narrate how all those things happened simultaneously. Yeah, and I think what's important there is that you're making your decision without knowing what actions other people are taking, right? Between players and enemies, right? The the, the key is is the unknown of other people's actions in that decision, mm-hmm. and then being locked into it, right? Is is the other part of it, the programming part. The other thing that the Unearthed Arcana didn't mention is uh, what order do people declare what they're going to do? Yeah. I, I mean, I always assume that it's like diplomacy rules, you know, where you like write it down on a sheet of paper and everyone reveals at the same time. Oh, my and God. And you resolve the conflict. That's yet another <laughs> another oh. layer of complexity. Well, I mean, it's basically the same, right? I mean, you can still talk about things. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter because the, the GM's initiative is going gonna, is gonna to be rolled at the same time it doesn't you don't necessarily need to see what their die roll was yeah that doesn't matter but in terms of like tactically planning what people are going to do i guess merles is saying like everyone should should basically have a conversation about it so if you do this then i'll do this and we could you know and we should agree on what dice we're picking up and committing to okay one that takes forever yeah i know um also the way that we used to do it back in the day was just like we went in a circle from left to right like the gm would just be like okay you what do you do then you then you then you you know and you'd kind of be like when you got there in the first place, it was sort of like, maybe I'll sit over here. So I'm the last one <laughs> to pick what I do so that I have a better idea of like what everyone else is doing. Right. <laughs> you just added initiative order to choosing your action based on seat positioning, which is fine. Before we roll initiative order. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think programmed actions are a great like design element right like i love games that have action programming because i like the complexity and i like having it makes you when you're you're making decisions you have to think about what are all the possible decisions my opponent could could be making as well like how does my opponent see the board what are their like what are they most likely to be doing and then how do i accomplish my goal while also not falling victim to whatever it is that they're attempting to do against me I think it also helps the kind of player who gets too bogged down into tactics and finding exactly what is the most optimal thing to do in any given situation, which is you got to decide something. You don't have enough information. I Like, just decide something. Yeah, but the, then that player is in the same boat when it's their turn, right? Well, depending on how programmed the action needs to be. Yeah. 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 Like, for example, if if, as it is currently in Greyhawk Initiative, it is just, I will make a melee attack or I will cast a spell. Well, if, if you're going to make a melee attack, like there's probably maximum two weapons that you could potentially be using. Right, and probably 
probably a known number of targets because D&D, it's very hard to move when you're engaged. Right. So it's likely that you will know the targets that are next to you and whether you need to move. Right. But if it's just cast a spell, well, any good spellcaster has like 15 different options. Right. I mean, most of my spellcasters have at least eight different cantrips mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of weird because it's almost not programmed for a spellcaster. Yeah. Well, you know, it is. It's very Greyhawk. It's very second edition, right? Which is you get unlimited power as a spellcaster, but your life is hell all the time. <laughs> you suck and you suck and you suck until you win. Until you hit fifth level, seventh, <laughs> seventh level in Greyhawk, I guess. Polymorph other. Right. <laughs> the other thing that it made me realize about D&D or made me really think about with D&D is how intricate the the combo play is and how important that is to making D&D fun. Um, you know, some games like Phoenix Dawn Command, you literally have a hand of cards that you're playing in together to achieve things. And like, so in that way, you're kind of directly comboing, right? In kind of a more traditional sense. But D&D has layers of that, right? It's about stacking damage from different sources and buffs from different sources with debuffs against your enemies from different sources and lining all of those things up in order to get you know ultimately the target down to zero hit points um and so each character in a party has sort of a role that they have to play in that right that they're sort of designed to fill um if you make the combo play between those roles more difficult i think you can really detract from what makes them feel good at the table you know like if a cleric's healing spell might never arrive on time like if you can't heal in a pinch i don't know that cleric is a whole lot of fun (laughs) like that's part of what being a cleric is is saving people on the brink of death you know yeah it's just better to do that kind of thing out of combat right like let's just win this first and then we don't need to time it and i lose random actions right it also makes it tougher to pull in uh, people who may not necessarily always be thinking tactically, but enjoy when they're made a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, I yell across the battlefield. If like you move over to here, then we can both flank. Right. But if there's no coordinating that, if there's no knowing where someone is going to be at any moment, then like that just doesn't happen. Right. Where that combo interplay of interacts with initiative is timing, right? Um, if you need you know a and b to happen before c works then you need to know when a and b are up to happen right um and and the reason why is like typically what happens is like uh in the abstract right like if two players work together you might end up with like 20 percent more outcome right like you might do like 20 percent more damage because you work together versus just both attacking separately great right that would encourage you to do that action the flip side is if your combo is interrupted and doesn't doesn't work fully or like the spell that you were relying on is resisted or whatever right well you might only get 50 percent of your output you might just get the one original attack um that's sort of the risk reward that you're always playing with um that's what makes combo play interesting um the challenge that i have is i don't know now if a is even possible to go before b and then if I need A and B, 
Why well, need to make sure that happens before C? And now I've got too many possible failing points. And so I end up with a lot of broken combos, which suck because people didn't get to do their cool thing or um, the cool thing that somebody was relying on never comes or like I wasted a turn because you guys didn't do the setup. So I am just stuck here now. And like now we're all unhappy and it's just because the dice landed funny. I mean, it does give me an opportunity to berate you for being out of out of place or not showing up on time. Perfect. Late again. <laughs> to initiative. <laughs> Every round. Your mom was right. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the one bright spot. Uh, intra-party banter. Or no, get two parties at the same table and see how it goes. Oh, God. It's eight <laughs> unhappy people instead of just four. <laughs> All right, so what are some ways that initiative can be run well? What, what are some aspects that you want of a good initiative system? So I, I think I want initiative to create the tension when actions are simple. Or like if my choice is, you know, I'm trying to punch him before he punches me, right? Very simple actions. Like I want initiative to make that dramatic. Right. Like I don't know who's going to be able to punch first. Right. You know, we're both going to punch. Or we're both going to dive for the snitch. <laughs> Play- I was going to go with Gun, but I like Snitch. We're yeah, playing, uh-huh. we're playing Quidditch the mm-hmm. RPG. We both see it at the same time, and we're both gunning for it full speed. Only one of us can win. Like, and at the same time, the Bludgers are are ahead of your way. Closing yep. uh-huh. <laughs> so, like, it, it's right. That's where I want initiative to take over and be like, this is going to be a photo dramatic finish, and it's going to feel every bit as tense at the table as it should in my head. But when the actions that I and my party are taking have three or four moving parts that all depend on each other. Get out of my way, initiative. <laughs> Don't rear your ugly head when it's not wanted. <laughs> and, and it's okay if that means I can't do this combo in this fight because we landed in the wrong order. But, like, let me know that up front. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Don't let me start down that path and then get blocked by a D4 and a D8 rolling poorly. Yeah, like if you think about the fiction that games are based on, Colossus throws Wolverine for a fastball special. Mm-hmm. That means Wolverine needs to be next to Colossus. Like they need to get together and then Colossus needs to like wind up and then Wolverine needs to be ready for an attack when he actually lands in the Sentinel's face. Right. But if they had to plan that ahead of time and Colossus got there far before Wolverine actually was able to connect with him, like... What happens in the fiction is in, in a comic book, like they'll run together, Colossus will grab him, but the timing's off and Wolverine gets slammed into one of their allies because people aren't paying attention. Right. Or Wolverine gets like thrown over the Sentinel's shoulder. Yeah, he lands his, short. Yeah, <laughs> his claws are not or whatever, and he just smashes into the Sentinel's face, right? That's... But that happens, I don't know, a third of the way through the story for comedic effect and to show that like the team isn't working well together. Right. And they need to work on it. They need more time in the danger room. Right. And, and the point of that is not that random happens right and sometimes you know like fate just isn't on your side so wolverine is in for a in for a bad time here the point of it is we're not in sync (laughs) like us in our planning and our execution in our training are Mm -hmm. not in sync and we need to fix that initiative is not the way to illustrate that in a game because initiative is just random you can't plan around dice working better i mean unless you have a subsystem 
which D&D does not have, around managing initiative order, right? Like, if that is a, a thing that you can level up is control of initiative. So instead, you just don't plan a fastball special. If right. it happens to fall into place, you're like, oh, wait, I think in this particular circumstance, given the roles we happen to have, I think we can do this. Mm-hmm. But there's no calling out ahead of time and being like, hey, fastball special. Right. Um, I think another... Another important part of a good initiative system is that it needs to work with your action economy to ensure that you're sharing the spotlight equally across players. Um, And something that we didn't touch on in the Unearthed Arcana that was mentioned, uh, but not a focus, was like weapon speed um, and and action economy. And games where uh, I'm thinking specifically some players will take more actions in a round or in a turn than others, right? Like D&D has a little bit with a- with actions and bonus actions, but like... Too many uh, RPGs have a speed stat. Speed is a stat, yeah. <laughs> Feng Shui 2 has the shot counter. Um, and if you can take multiple low shot actions, you can act more times in the same round than somebody who has slower multi-shot actions, right? So if I can do a bunch of two and three shot actions cool, I just got to do more stuff on screen than the guy who's waiting for his six-shot action. So ideally, my an initiative system should be encouraging everyone to get the same screen time. It also shouldn't penalize certain kinds of archetypes that are present in the game. Greyhawk Initiative just punishes spellcasters and just rewards ranged combatants mm-hmm. for like no real reason. No. I guess maybe a nod to verisimilitude, I suppose, because spells took a long time to cast, even though there are things called bonus action spells. They all take quick- six seconds, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the same <laughs> A six whole seconds. six seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this gets in the way of telling certain kinds of stories, like the nimble rogue with a blade in each hand who like sneaks up in a blur and then does two quick slashes before retreating into the darkness. Like that doesn't happen. Right. The, the Gish who like whispers a a quick combat spell and then like leaps into the fray doesn't happen. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I want initiative to always be getting out of my way (laughs) is really, I think what it comes down to and, and whether that's from a planning standpoint or a story standpoint, I just, I want initiative to be as unobtrusive as possible. And I feel like the Unearthed Arcana went the exact opposite direction. So you're saying initiative should be, what, seen and not heard? Neither seen nor heard. Neither seen nor heard. (laughs) Only used to make sure we know who's next. (laughs) All right, do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, That's initiative being much too loud. (laughs) Well... Let's roll up a character to take care of that initiative problem in the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week we're talking about the High Noon Duelist. Which is a character that mm, takes advantage of the initiative system. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A bit anachronistically, but still counts. Don't play this character with Greyhawk Initiative. 
It does too much stuff. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what is our build? Swashbuckler Rogue 11, Wild Magic Sorcerer 9. Okay. All right. It's a strange build for what is supposed to be like a, a Western duelist who like stands with boots and hat and spurs. Yeah, like, like a tumbleweed rolling across the dirt. Right hand close to freshly loaded hand crossbow mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> as their opponent does it 10 feet away. Right. <laughs> but the point of this is to do as much damage as you possibly can with one trusty shot from your hand crossbow, which is really about as close as we can get to guns in D&D currently. Okay, so how are we going to do this? Uh, well, we're going to knock off a quick and hold person. And if that lands, that means that your uh, dueling partner is paralyzed. So you're going to have advantage on the attack. And if you hit, you're going to crit. And since you're a rogue, you're going to have sneak attack damage. And that sneak attack damage is also going to crit. So it's going to be a whole fistful of dice. Which I believe is the movie that this is occurring in. Indeed. A fistful of dice. Fistful of dice. <laughs> and it's sequel for a few dice more. <laughs> the lawful good, the chaotic evil, and the charisma six. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from Sorcerer, we are getting uh, metamagic, namely the quicken option. Obviously, there are going to be some others that you'll get that will be useful. But since your shtick is starting off with a very fast hold person or hold monster quickens the one you need more than anything else and then because we're a wild magic sorcerer we'll also get the bend luck ability uh, which can impose a minus 1d4 on a saving throw which of course is going to be that hold monster or hold person because really that's the main thing that needs to land in order for you to both get advantage and uh, to crit yep Of course, if it doesn't work and you're kind of like, oh, I guess I'm just going to shoot them, you can use Tides of Chaos to at least get advantage on that attack roll and also make sure you're getting your sneak attack, even though it won't be doubled for a crit. Right. And then from Rogue, obviously we get Expertise, which we love. Uh, As a swashbuckler, we'll add our Charisma to Initiative. We'll also get 66 sneak attack damage. So fingers crossed, 12d6. Uh, We'll get Uncanny Dodge, which... Which is how you survive the other duelist. Yeah, because D&D isn't really like a one-hit kill system. Right. You know, hopefully you'll be doing a bunch of damage on that one shot, but it's probably not going to kill somebody, which means they're going to shoot you back. Yep. So if they hit you, well, okay, uh, ideally you have the shield spell. <laughs> right. That, that might be considered unsporting. <laughs> That's true. Um, if they do hit you, if there's no way to avoid that, then you can at least uncanny dodge. I take half damage mm-hmm. as a reaction. And you know what? You're not even really dodging because it's uncanny. It's it's uncanny how little you had to dodge. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound, apparently. <laughs> you do get evasion. I guess this is for when the gun is modeled. It's a, it's a blunderbuss. It's a blunderbuss. Right? Yep. <laughs> so it's modeled by a deck saving throw. <laughs> or you're fighting with wands. Right. It's, mm, I don't know. I guess I'll fireball you. Right. Uh, then you'll also have Reliable Talent, which gives you a minimum of 10 on skill checks. For feats, you'll want Alert, which gives you a plus 5 to initiative. And so that's going to total to about a plus 13 to 15 to initiative, like flat bonus. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. depending on how high your decks and charisma are. So in terms of playing this, because we're doing 9 and 11 as our level split, it's a little bit important the order that we take them. Right. So start out Rogue get four levels of that get to your ability score increase 
then three levels of sorcerer so that you can pick up hold person. So at least you can do this trick uh, on humanoids. Yeah, so by level seven, you'll feel like a high noon duelist. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you're going to take rogue to nine. And that'll let you pick up panache from Swashbuckler, which has plenty of out of combat uh, capabilities, but also lets you make people focus on you in combat. Right. Uh, then get your sorcerer to nine. Go ahead and get that hold monster. Mm-hmm. And then polish off rogue to eleven. Right. All right, Ishan. Tell me about your high noon duelist. My high noon duelist is too honorable for her own good. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. She's a rogue trained in all that roguey goodness, um, but. She doesn't like to backstab. You know, her her dad was a, an old school second edition thief. Mm-hmm. You know, who really would spend four rounds to make sure he got that times four backstab. Oh, cool. Are we playing Order of the Stick? <laughs> but she was like, you know what? I don't I don't like all this thieving. If I'm going to shoot a man, I'm going to shoot him in the front. <laughs> He's going to be armed. He's going to be facing me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Mal. So all of her rogue abilities are, are mainly focused around, you know, persuasion, face skills, perception, mm-hmm. you know, scouting, things like that. She also is interested in like, having a, a reputation. And that's part of the reason, like, this this quickened hold person, hold monster thing works is, like, it's sort of like her being like, do you know who I am? And then, like, freezing with fear and being like, oh, no, what did I get myself into? Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's like the, <laughs> the Doc Holiday. She yeah. just says, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> and I shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> You're a daisy if you do. (laughs) So uh, this reminds me a bit of our Blackbeard build where she is very capable of dueling, but she doesn't actually really want to duel. Yeah, yeah. You know? She prevents a lot of duels from happening because most people just back down. She didn't cheat in that card fight. She doesn't cheat. Right. You cheated. But we can take this outside. You kind of win it before you win it sort of deal. Yep. All right. What about your high noon duelist? Uh, I like maybe more of like a Jamie Lannister type uh, Kingslayer. So um, as the quickest hand crossbow in the West, Eros. <laughs> that was terrible and I liked it. <laughs> uh, my High Noon Duelist was actually the one, the, the rebellious figure who landed the uh, killing blow on a deposed tyrant backstory was pledged to serve that tyrant and went back on their oath so is an oath breaker and as a result despite having freed much of the land from his tyranny and and uh, cruel rule uh, is viewed as a disgrace because hey look you took an oath so he wanders now a high noon duelist putting his uh, abilities to use mostly reprimanding people who question him right um, people who who want to start a fight with him, he's got sort of a quick response for them. It's it's a crossbow. Oh, he's become a duelist because he gets challenged to so many duels. Because so many people <laughs> like want to take it out on him that he's he's disgraced himself, right? So he's kind of like the quickest gun in the West, and nobody believes it. So they they all got to challenge him, uh, and they they don't think very highly of him. And so he falls in with adventurers because it turns out that. Having a quick hand crossbow can be awful handy in a dungeon. It's all adventures care about. Right. 
All right, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to become one of our patrons. You can visit patreon.com slash totalpartythrill to get access to extra content, TPT merchandise, and some dubious rewards. So if you find that you can spare, you know, $5 a month or so, please consider giving it to Emily's list so that we can elect more women to Congress because it's become very apparent recently that they are the reason that anyone still has health care. But if you can find an extra $5 a month, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing the show every week. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll actually be presenting a special introduction to RPGs episode that is for those of you who are just getting into role-playing games or for you old-timers and regular listeners to send to your friends that you want to get interested in the hobby or that you want to send to your parents so they know what the heck it is you do. What is it you do here? (laughs) I take the character sheets. (laughs) Right. From the game creators to the players. <laughs> Why can't the game creators just take the character sheets to the players themselves? Well, I, I don't do it myself. My secretary does. <laughs> I have people skills. I have a high charisma. All right. In the character creation forge? We'll actually be building something called Beginner's Luck. Whatever that means. That's it for episode 106 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 